0: Hey, everyone. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His Techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world and there's some special promotions going on some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast so i hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out that's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language okay let's get into today's episode enjoy Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest does language acquisition and goal achievement coaching. She currently uses eight languages, including English, German, French, Mandarin, Japanese, Spanish, Hindi, and Arabic. And she holds graduate degrees in German literature and secondary instruction. But most impressive is that she is a mother to an adventurous toddler with whom she speaks six of these languages. Dear God, I'm excited to talk about multilingual parenting and hear all of her tips and tricks for expat families. So I am really, really excited about today's show. Please welcome Sarah Tarvin. Sarah, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much. How are you doing today?
0: Very well. Now, okay. Before we get into your backstory and everybody who listens to this show, I always ask about the backstory. Before we get into that, all those languages that I just mentioned, do you actually speak all of those languages or you just like talk about those languages? Or
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. So I generally use, when I'm talking about languages, I use the, the European Common, Common Framework. I don't know if you're familiar, but that's when you see like the A1, A2, et cetera. So of course I'm at different levels with each of them. When I say that I speak eight languages, so I've actually studied or, or like attempted a, probably closer to like two dozen languages. But most of the rest of those are things that I've learned for travel. And so like I learned the basics to get around, but it's not something that I've like, I'm not worried about the grammar. I'm not actively trying to acquire it. So those eight languages are the the languages that I actively work with. You know, ranging from native speaker or near native speaker fluency to, um, you know, my, my Arabic. The, Arabic has been the most difficult one for me. So it's, you know, it kind of has, its. I, I'll get a little better. Yallah, Habibi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yalla Habibi. So I, I, uh, I'm not fluent in all of them, but those are the ones that I actively work with and try to advance on a regular basis.
0: Well, I had to ask you that before anything else, because I think it's super interesting. We can get into possibly a conversation about what is fluency, what does that mean, and things like that a little bit later on. But I suppose right off the bat, so how did you get into languages so much? Like, Where did this passion come from?
1: Basically, it's a lifelong passion. I can't remember a time that I wasn't interested. Yeah, I I remember a moment in childhood. I would say I was about seven years old, I was was part of one of those little, uh, you know, gifted and talented programs in my very—I was small town Nebraska. I was a, a kind of a suburb, the military suburb outside of Omaha, and they put me in a program that was. In the community library it was after school. And they basically were introducing us to the idea that there were other countries. And so like we went after school and they had these, like we made these little folders out of like manila folders. They put little stamps on them, a little handle, and that was our suitcase, right? And then each day of the, the program is like a week-long program, we went to a different country. And so we went to France and Spain and Germany. And so they would have like themed snacks from each country, and we'd watch a little, you know, it was in the 80s, a little VHS about the country. Country. And then they would teach us that, like in Spain, they say "Hola," and in France, they say "Bonjour" for you know greetings. And this just blew my mind because I was like, hey, "Hold on, oh <laughs> hello." <laughs> hello. <laughs> so what do you want about this "Hola"? Nonsense? When I realized that there were entirely different languages out there, that opened the door to these other cool places that were you know interesting and beyond the borders of my small town. I just was immediately hooked. I could not get enough of it. It was like being a spy with a secret code. That was the moment that really turned me on both to travel, which has become a lifelong passion, and then also the languages. And so around that same time, you know, I was I was a hyperactive kid. I needed to be into everything. And so my parents found me a local woman who was, who happened to be French and she would just allow kids issue would You know, it was French tutoring, but basically what it was, was once a week for a couple of hours, I'd go to her house and we'd play in French. And so that's how I started learning French. And after that one was not enough. So I just kept going.
0: Well, okay. So side note, before we get into the methodology, I think, and then I'm, I'm curious your opinion, but It sounds to me like that is the exact way that you should learn a language through play, through something that you enjoy, something fun and making a connection with another human being opposed to what is done in traditional schools where you pull out a textbook and someone lectures at you and you are corrected for every mistake that you make. And it's very dry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you probably I,
0: hear a lot of the bias in my tonality, but I mean,
1: <laughs> it matches mine. I, I I couldn't agree more. It's that's exactly the right way to do it. Yeah.
0: Okay. So French was the first one on your list. Now, did you gravitate after that to additional Romance languages, or because, like, I I saw in there like Japanese and Mandarin and Hindi and Arabic, like ones that are just. Completely different. Did you go more to the romance languages, and then afterwards be like, "Ooh, I need more of a challenge," or how how did that look?
1: How that happened? Yeah. So in the in the early years, some of it was dictated by my um, geographic location. So in you know small town Nebraska at the time, you know, and things are probably different today, but in the 80s, there there wasn't a whole lot of language availability. And then I moved shortly thereafter to St. Louis, where there were more. Let's see, the next, so in middle school, you know, because again, especially back then, there were not immersion schools. You weren't, we weren't doing au pairs or, you know, non-native English speaker nannies. So it was just a little harder to come across language opportunities at that time. And so I had to wait with great anticipation until I got to middle school to start taking it at school. Um, And then they had had what was called like a wheel, a language wheel class where you could sample all of the foreign languages offered. as like a semester long elective. And so I took that and it was the French, German, Spanish. And then like for one week you got ASL the the purpose of it was really meant to you were supposed to choose <laughs> like which one connects with me and i was like all of them yes
0: you're like yes <laughs> and i was just
1: <laughs> yes i was so angry that you could only yes. have like one or two electives <laughs> you know to to choose from and so i stuck with french at that time and uh and then we moved down to arkansas and so At that time, and it's been a while since I've lived down there, but at that time, the the native Spanish-speaking population was just growing so quickly. And so while I was there, I would say it was probably between 30 and 40% of the community I was in was native Spanish-speaker. And so our school was increasingly working with that. So all of the announcements were bilingual. All of the papers home, everything like that was bilingual. In the hallways, I was as as likely to hear Spanish as I was to hear English. So Spanish was kind of the next one by default simply because that that became my community. And it's one of the ones that I've studied, quote unquote, studied the least. I only took, in school, I took Spanish. I started Spanish one, like my junior year of high school, I think. And because of my experience with the other language, and my interest in languages, I, they jumped me, they actually skipped me to Spanish too for the second semester because I was, you know, they're so similar. I was just, you know, (laughs) getting bored and wasting the teacher's time. So he moved me to the second level. So that's where my Spanish comes from. My productive Spanish is not as good as my receptive Spanish. I can read, I can understand Spanish just really pretty easily. I have a harder time speaking it just because I, I haven't tried to as much. I've not traveled in the Spanish speaking countries as much. And so, but as far as understanding goes, that one is, and accent wise, I've been told that my accent is is pretty decent as well, simply because it was a full immersion experience. Following that one, our school actually for, you know, small town Arkansas had an amazing exchange student population. We had like 21 exchange students my sophomore year. One of them initially lived with another host family And he was the most popular boy in school, really just this attractive, well-spoken, outgoing German guy. And his host family made him miserable. And so he asked me one day, can I live with your family instead?
0: <laughs> can I come <laughs> home with you instead?
1: <laughs> exactly. So, when, Like a you know, lost the, puppy. <laughs> right, when the popular boy asks you, can I come live with you? <laughs> and you're you know, 15, 16 years old. So I, I went home and fully expecting what my parents would say. And you know, I was like, can a, a cute German boy come live with us? No, okay. Uh, but instead of saying no, they were like, sure, <laughs> why not? And a week <laughs> later, he moved in with us. So- Amazing. Uh, It it was. And he's actually, you know, we, we became brother and sister. We're still in contact today. He is absolutely family to me, but so he moved in with us. And so that was kind of my, my first step into German was, you know, we started, he would play his 1990s German hip hop and I wanted to know what it was about. And so that's kind of when I started learning German. And then I subsequently, the summer Summer after that, I went to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Concordia Language Villages in Minnesota. No, tell me. They have some adult programs, but it's specifically designed for you know kids 6 to 18. It's a sleepaway camp, and it's full immersion. They have, I think, 12 different languages. Most of the languages have like villages built to look like the country that it represents. So like I went to Valdse. All of the camps, the name means lake in the woods in that language. So Valdse, lake in the woods. And so it's built to look like a southern German town with like the whole, you know, Bavarian. Yeah, all of the cabins are built like that. When you arrive, so when you sign up, you get a a fake passport in the mail and like a a list of what you can and can't bring. When you arrive at the camp, they will go, you'll go through customs, they will take out any contraband, which, you know, (laughs) candy because they don't want squirrels. Um, But then any English books, any English uh, music, anything like that will be removed because it's a full immersion experience. You get a new name, everything, change your money for the local currency. It's fantastic. So I did four weeks at Baldsey in high school and went from, you know, very beginning one year of high school German to um, essentially functionally fluent after four weeks. So yeah, it's a fantastic program. So that's kind of the Europe, the origin of my European languages. German ended up being my, it is my most fluent language, second language, if you will. I, I speak German at a near native level because I then in college went on to, I decided to major in German and went on to get a master's degree in German. Lit. The non-European languages, let's see, when did that start? So Mandarin would be the next language. And that was in college, I dated and, and later married for a period of time, a man who spoke Mandarin as a various, a, a, a mixture, your travel, you know, the Chinese mixture, but essentially Mandarin in the home. And so I, while I was doing my junior year abroad in Austria, I decided to surprise him and learn Mandarin. And so How do you do. I, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, on a whim. <laughs> Some people bring home, you know, roses or you know, <laughs> <home a> language. <laughs> so um, I was taking it. You know, I was studying at the university there in in Austria. So I took my first Mandarin class was actually in German Mandarin. So I was having to convert the the Mandarin into German and then the German into the English. Of course, eventually you get to the point where you don't need to make all the steps, but there were definitely times, you know, my textbook was entirely in German. So um, there was a period of time where there were some things that I knew in Mandarin and I knew in German, but I didn't necessarily know the English translation for it. So I learned that while studying abroad, came home and in kind of like a fun experiment. I loved his family. I didn't tell them at first that I spoke Mandarin. I simply listened for about six months (laughs) just to see what they were saying and then after about six months his mom it was one day was you know speaking to him and, and said is she hungry and I responded in Mandarin yes she is she'd like a pizza <laughs> <laughs> and the whole family just like what <laughs> so so you um,
0: didn't get any gossip any dirty words or
1: no no they no? were oh, okay uh, they're such a dear family There was you know just the usual you know can you can you hand me the book? Can you, what would you like for dinner? Type, kind of conversations, nothing, nothing juicy. But, and then from there, let's see, I was, I started volunteering with the English immersion was uh, part of my university, like the kind of special branch, just for people coming short-term. And I became a language partner for a group of Japanese students. And I just, I've always been fascinated by Japan, love Studio Ghibli, love, you know, the anime. Not like I'm not like a total Japan anime kind of, you know, I, I never got into the deep. You don't sleep with ball. the
0: pillows or you have right, the exactly. on the walls. Yeah.
1: Or- yeah. But I enjoy I enjoy the Studio Ghibli movies. And so I took that opportunity to start learning Japanese. I just took one college, one semester of college and then put a pin in the Japanese. And so that one just kind of stayed for a long time. So that was kind of like I, I was actually stagnant with language growth for actually quite a while after that. And then several years ago now. So about 2014, in 2014, while, you know, I was kind of at a place I was teaching in the United States. I had been teaching foreign language, German and French, and then also English. And, you know, it just, it was right post the 20, uh, the 2008 recession. And, you know, it was just kind of, I was at a crossroads where I needed something very different. And so to kind of get out of my slump, I decided to take an internship doing photojournalism in Nepal. And so I was there for uh, a summer working, you know, doing photography and and contributing for a a small local magazine. And then I did a, at the end, I decided to trek to Everest base Camp. And while on that trek, I met somebody who was teaching English in the Middle East and so he's telling me about just kind of like how great it was all their vacations the pay you know all all the things and I was like why am I still sitting being unhappy
0: why am sitting, I still sitting at Mel, Mount Everest base camp <laughs> fair <laughs> point yeah yeah sorry I got sorry, tired, I got but... <laughs> I, I gotta tease you about that one yeah
1: yeah in that moment I definitely was celebrating you know some some awesomeness but then when I got home When I returned home, I was like, you know, this is I'm I was substitute teaching in a a great district in Seattle. But, you know, it just I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And so I was like, I need to change. And so I accepted a job in in Oman in the Middle East. And
0: in Muscat or
1: um, outside Muscat, about two hours south in the town of Sur, a fantastic experience. And so that was when I started with Arabic. And as I as I mentioned, Arabic has been my greatest challenge it is grammatically more complex than so many others, the pronunciation.
0: Arabic's like a level five language. They say it's one of the most difficult if you're coming from a native English speaking background. And there's not many other languages that are going to prepare you for it. Like I think that you mentioned Japanese, but if you had a basis in Mandarin, then there might be some ways that that's going to help with the characters or the traditional and things like that, but Arabic. I mean, you're out there alone.
1: A whole different ballgame, right? Yeah. And I problem- lived in the
0: Middle East for eight years, so that's how that's right. I know. You know, <laughs> exactly. Like-
1: you, you've you've been there. You felt it. Yeah. It's and the difficulty, which you know, I think you probably experienced as well in in where you were is. Those are expat countries. So we were there, we were hired to teach English. So we were contractually bound to speak only English with our students outside of school. We weren't generally encountering a lot of native Omanis in the restaurants, in the supermarkets. Those were guest workers from India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. Um, So I actually started learning more Hindi during that time than I did Arabic.
0: That's so interesting you say that because I lived in Abu Dhabi and I mean, 90% of the population are all expats. Exactly. And a third of those are Hindi speakers. I mean, whether they're Hindi or Urdu, but this kind of region in the world. And then Filipinos. I mean, just tons and tons and tons of Filipinos. You are more likely to hear Tagalog on the street than you are Arabic living in the UAE. And I think Oman is a little bit more Local and traditional, like the UAE is really expat, really expat. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you said, they're like 90%. I think Oman was 40 or 50% when I lived Mm -hmm. there. And they were
0: huge compared to any other country in the world. But oh, I know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, I did end up making a few native Omani friends, one of whom remains a close friend to this day. And and so she'll speak some Omani with me or something, you know, and I say Omani because that's the other challenge with Arabic is it's regionally very different from country to country. So, yeah, so I, I made some progress then and it's, it's just been a long slow steady progress since then. And then, so then, like I said, that's also the, the Hindi, I didn't start actively learning until that time. But it does go back. So my mother was she grew up in Canada, and her high school, they did awesome trips for their school trips. But her senior trip, they took students for a month to India, and it was just such an amazing life changing experience for her that I've grown up my whole life hearing about how great India is, and we've always said that we would take a trip to India together. And so like, I my favorite books as a kid were as, were about India. Like it, it's just always been this place for me. So I and then now as an adult. And while living in Oman, you know, they, they had like one or two Western, like Hollywood films in the theater. And then the rest were Bollywood films. So we got super addicted to Bollywood films. And <laughs> so the, the Hindi came. Lots running. of dancing.
0: Lots know, of dancing. We I mean, loved
1: it. Yes. Like three. <laughs> it was like a dollar to go to the theater. And then for three hours, and you're dancing in the aisles, and popcorn was 50 cents. It's fantastic. Yeah. So,
0: I had an Indian girlfriend for a few years and <laughs> lots of dancing movies. lots yeah. of <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> lots of good fun. Yeah. So that's kind of the origin story on all of them. Um, I, I've also started Esperanto trying to pick that one up.
0: Okay. Actually, I'm going to be doing an entire episode just on Esperanto because I think that's so fascinating. Um, I need to find the right person. Maybe afterwards, if you know a good, famous person who can explain the concepts of Esperanto, because I want to tackle Esperanto, not only about the language, but also about the history of it and the politics and the movement of it, because I think it's just so, so fascinating. And for anyone who doesn't understand, it is the most popular, what do we, what do they call it? Manufactured language yeah, in the exactly. world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was, it was created as a, it was meant to be the next universal language and it's, it's designed to be simple to acquire. So
0: Exactly. And they build the words on top of one another. So you can actually have these huge strings of words and the language is so organic that anyone can add to it. It's like a, it's like a Wikipedia of languages. Like, like it's just, it's so fascinating the way it's been done. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, When in in the polyglot community, it's like everyone just throws Esperanto in there because it's supposed to be so easy. And so, you know, I've heard this so many times. So I figured, okay, well, I'm going to, I should take a a stab at it just so I could confirm or deny. Is it intuitive?
0: So, opinions? Give us the dirt. So
1: far, you know, it's, I think as an English speaker, you know, I was anticipating it to be a little more like romance language leaning. For it's more, it's of-
0: German based, isn't it? Like, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's supposed to Eastern. be not any based, but it's more of the.
1: A- yeah, there's a lot of Eastern European influence in it, which is is great. It's still, but it's not since I don't have any Eastern European languages in my in my collection yet, um, and I emphasize the word yet. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily as intuitive as it might have been if it was a rope, like though that group of languages seems like there is a smaller population who speak them. So I feel like something that had more roots in one of the other more widely spoken. That's interesting because
0: for some reason in my brain, I thought it was a Germanic language. I didn't think it was, what would that be like a Slavic language or something?
1: Yeah. Well, and to your point, it's meant to have a aspects or elements of of most of, I think, I well, when I say most, I, it's definitely European oriented. I, I, I'm not seeing any elements that derive from like Mandarin or, or Swahili necessarily in there, but it's not difficult. It's not a, it's definitely not a difficult language, but it's, um, the words are not as intuitive as I necessarily predicted they would be just because they they have more of that Slavic
0: Well, if anyone who's listening today has a background in Esperanto or knows the person that I should be interviewing to discuss Esperanto language, then go to expatmoneyforum.com and start a thread on there and let's get this going. Because I think this is super, super fascinating. And for the implications for being an expat and if there was a global language, what that would look like for communities, I and community building, which is one of my hobbies at the moment is looking how people organize themselves and in smaller areas and the laws and the the things that come from that, whether that be, you know, monetization and commerce through Bitcoin. I mean, I see Esperanto as possibly being the Bitcoin of the language world, except it's been going for 100, 150 years and it's still a few hundred thousand speakers, not several millions or right, tens of millions. Yeah.
1: The argument I often hear is that why why do we need a universal language when we have English? But then the counter argument I often hear is any of the, you know, right now English does remain the universal language. I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that Mandarin is going to creep up and replace English before too long here. But in both cases, there are political undertones to that. Absolutely, English is the universal language because of you know, colonialism. There's, there's no, you know, for better or worse, that's just the, the facts. That's how it happened. Something that, something like Esperanto would not have that.
0: Exactly, it undertone. puts everybody on an even keel. I mean, right, right. It, it's so different when you are forcing someone to speak in your native language and it's their secondary language, even if they're very good at it there's differences. It's a different power structure, which I think is really fascinating to study and to understand. And as you said, the political biases that come in language, yeah, there's a a lot to it. I digress. I want to get back into the subject hand because I'll go on a giant tangent about this because I think it's super interesting. But okay, so really fascinating about the languages that you acquired. Now, here's my next question. you have... Children or child or children at the moment? Child. yeah. Child,
1: child. perfect. Okay.
0: Problem. You have a child at the moment, and now you are helping your child to learn languages. With your expertise and your many, many years of studying languages, I'm really curious the the methods that you think are best, quote unquote, for a child to acquire a language.
1: So, yeah, I'll start with what I use and have used for my daughter. So... I don't generally I don't use her her given name publicly. I just call her Baby Lion. Or now she's not a baby anymore, so we just call her Little Lion. So, on all of my media, um, people will see her reference to as Little Lion. That's kind of until she's old enough to give me the permission herself. That's what what I use.
0: Yeah. There's no pictures of my kids up on the internet. I, I know I don't say the names of my kids either. I mean, yeah, that's a privacy yeah. thing for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. So with uh, with Little Lion, with Lion, what what I've done from birth. So for the first six months, I used all eight of the languages in rotation two days at a time. And so what that looked like is realistically in those first months, you are not using a huge pool of vocabulary. There are really a limited number of phrases that you're saying with these these kids. Are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Do you need a diaper change? Et cetera. So for two days, I would speak English, then the next two days I would speak, you know, Mandarin, two days Japanese rotating through. It was a little more difficult to stay entirely in those languages for like I said, my weaker languages. Arabic and Hindi are my weakest of the languages. In those cases, I again I had those lists of the the super common phrases. I had I knew those those phrases. And then, you know, if I needed to slip, she's, you know, a, about to something spontaneous, she's gonna fall. You know, if I need to switch to English, so be it. As long as those target phrases are in the target language. And I did that so that she was hearing those those languages and structures from the beginning. And then I was constantly reading to her. So when she was sleeping, when she was just kind of there, I was always reading my novels out loud to her. Um, and I was reading novels in different languages. So I had a, a German novel, I had a French novel, a Spanish no- novel, a Mandarin novel, etc. Um, so I just, anytime we were still and she was resting or, or playing quietly near me, I was reading out loud from a novel, which I did for two reasons. One, to hear that, that fluid flow of language in the target language. And then the other reason was because I was modeling reading from an early age to her. She's playing independently, she sees mommy reading. So we did that for about the first 6 months when when it's just exposure. She's not, you know, she's not going to say her first word at 3 months anyway. So then once she got to be about 7 months old and particularly at that point she went to school, I had to go back to work, so she went to daycare. So at that point she began getting all the English she needed from the community, from, you know, from school, from grandma and grandpa, etc. So from then on Uh, because I wanted to develop stronger language skills. I speak with her 75% of the time in German. And so that's, that's essentially mommy's language. The other 20, well, so I would say then 20% of the time is I rotate through a language of the month or or different languages. And this isn't, you know, there's no science to this. It's not like I'm not measuring time or anything. So at that point, I, I did drop the Hindi and Arabic for her because she's she's gotten some exposure. And we now live in a community that is very, very heavily, it's, I'd say our is at least 50% from India. So she can get the the Hindi from the neighborhood as well. But so then the other languages, the, the Mandarin, Japanese, French, and Spanish, I'm rotating through with her in smaller doses. And then the, the remaining 5%, I do speak English with her. You know, about 5% of the time because she's a toddler and I'm a human and staying in a non-native language when somebody's throwing a temper tantrum or, you know, when she's got 102 fever, it's not worth it. Um, and so that's kind of my, the first point that I talk about with clients is that there is no perfect because I feel like that is one thing that prevents people from giving their children the gift of bilingualism or multilingualism is because they're like, well, you know, this is the best way to do it. And I'm not able to do this. Or, you know, I I want them to speak Spanish, but my Spanish isn't fluent. Who cares? We are humans. Every little bit is a gift to, to their language abilities. So yeah, um, I, I make sure to tell clients that I do not do any kind of like perfect routine, <laughs> I absolutely slip into English. Uh, you know, if I've had a bad day, you know, we've, we've gone through some, some challenges here. I'm, you know, it's, it's okay. It's super. Yeah, because open. if
0: you start beating yourself up about not being perfect, well, then you're not going to be motivated to continue. And when things get tough, then, I mean, you're just going to think it's not worth it, but it's like, no, actually you can, You can keep showing up every single day and do your best you can for that day. I get that completely. I think that's something to be said about parenthood in general.
1: (laughs) It's hard.
0: (laughs) It's hard, there's no doubt.
1: So at home, she gets those, you know, mostly German and then the other languages. So she's now, um, she's about to be 18 months and so she, you know, one of the the most frequent questions or or not even questions, I get comments, comments that I've gotten from people, you know, oh, you're you're ruining your child, she'll she'll be delayed in language. So she is on par or or more verbal than her peers. So that debunks that myth right there. As far as understanding, she has demonstrated that she understands equally English and German and, and pretty much you know most of what we say obviously if i start speaking at like a phd level she's, <laughs> your average adults might not understand some of those words but you know for the most part if you say you know go get your shoes you know which book would you like to read the basic conversation stuff that a child would engage with she will give the correct response she will perform the correct action in both german and english With the other four main languages, um, particularly Mandarin and French, she was demonstrating more understanding with a more limited context. So, usually, the context around like her favorite board books and stuff, animals, clothing pieces, that sort of thing, she understands in, in multiple languages. As far as spoken words go, she's at about 40 or 50 spoken words with, she adds like, I don't know, five more a day right now. We're in that really exciting. Period where they just start exploding with their languages. In the beginning, I would say about 50% of the words were cognates between the main languages, which makes sense because those are, she's going to be hearing that. Maybe
0: just explain to the listeners what a cognate is. What a
1: cognate is. Yeah. So a cognate is a word that is going to either be exactly the same or look or sound the same between two languages. So an example would be her first word was Buch, which is the German word for book. But they sound exactly the same. They're spelled differently, but it's book. book, It's the same word, essentially. So her favorite word right now is shoe, which is again the same between the two languages. So Mm -hmm. English is. This is your
0: best friend when you're trying to learn Spanish. Because if you don't know the word, you just say the, the English word and then you just add a Spanish flair to the end of it. And like chances are you got it correct. Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now on the flip side, there are a few false cognates between languages, which we're, we're having a few issues with, not issues, but I can tell that they confuse her a little bit, but an example would be like in English, the word gift in German, the word gift means poison. So you definitely don't want to give somebody a gift in German. (laughs) So there are a few, a few things that would be confusing, but as far as the words go, so most are cognates they're non cognates. She does have a few more English because she's spending all day with her her peers in school and then German. And she has a few that are like mixed between the languages. So like her word for bubbles that she used the other day was pow pow bowls because the Mandarin word for bubbles is pow pow. So she is mixing some of those up, but that's very normal. And that self-corrects with time. So her favorite books and nursery rhymes, her favorite TV show is Chupi, which is a French cartoon. Her favorite books are in Japanese for the most part. So she is very comfortable in, in all of them and is not in any way linguistically delayed, which is one of the most common myths with multilingual children.
0: Okay, so I love how purposeful you are and how you've thought this through. I want to kind of share with you some of my ideas and then mm-hmm. you critique the, sh- the hell out of them. Okay, you tell me <laughs> there's good, this is bad, this is. So, all right, so some context for you. So I'm Canadian, native English speaker, of course. My wife is from mainland China. So since day one, with we have two children, with my daughter, well, actually with my son too. My son is very, very young, newborn baby. But my wife speaks only in Mandarin with our children. Like 99.99% in Mandarin. And even if we're sitting at the dinner table together, And like my wife will speak to me in English, then turn around and speak to our kids in Mandarin. Like she is amazing with this. She doesn't just join in the conversation and switch to English. She's very, very, very good about it. So I would say that my daughter, especially in the beginning, her Mandarin was actually better than her English because my wife was the one who was spending the most amount of time with her. Also, my daughter has been to China five times now and each time for two months at a time. So spent a lot of time with Waipua and Waigong and and they speak only Mandarin. So English and Chinese are completely normal and natural. Now we live in Panama, which is obviously a Spanish speaking country. We now have a nanny who doesn't live with us but works nine to five type of thing in the house. And she just takes care of my daughter like 100% of the time and speaks only in Spanish to her, nothing else, because she doesn't speak anything else. There's no other additional languages there. And although my wife does speak, like my wife speaks Korean as well, she's not bothered with Korean. We speak a little bit of Arabic. We know some Arabic because we lived there for so many years, but we haven't bothered with anything like that but the idea was, okay, she's five years old right now. She speaks Mandarin, English, and Spanish all fluently. And then we're going to be adding one language, probably one language a year for the next several years. So at the moment we're in Brazil. My son was just born here in Brazil. So I have have a Brazilian child and we're going to move to Brazil in maybe one or two years. Then we will start learning Portuguese and I study Spanish every single day. So hopefully it'll be a plus one for me as well. And it'll be my daughter will be at four languages and then maybe my son will be, I don't know, working on his first or second. So that's kind of like from the human aspect. Then some people will listen to this and hate me for it, but my daughter does watch quite a bit of cartoons. Once again, I'm human. Sorry, everyone. I know that you know TV and tablets and phones and stuff are not good for kids. However, saying that my daughter does watch cartoons but we changed the languages of her Netflix and Disney Plus and all of these to either Mandarin or to Spanish. So she gets no English input at all. And then the only English she gets is from me or from my mother who lives with us, her grandmother. So that's kind of our structure. And then we're thinking, so Portuguese next year, and then maybe Russian or Arabic the year after. We're just going to pause for a second on the interview because I want to tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're going to find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I want to tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore, to become an expat, expat hopefuls, if you're looking at immigration or Plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I want to give it to you Free, 100% free all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page you will see the special report You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's gonna really serve you well So enjoy go to expatmoneyshow.com download your free special report and let's jump back into today's interview
1: It's a basic so what I tell clients is that there is no right, or I guess there's there's no wrong way. You, you use what you got. But if I could describe an ideal situation, you've just described it, basically. The first thing, we'll touch on the first thing that you mentioned, is probably the most famous approach to multilingual parenting, and that's called OPOL, One Parent, One Language. And so Opal. that's...
0: OPOL.
1: O-P... O-P-O-L. One Parent, O-P-O-L. One Language. Ah, okay, so it's an acronym one, for... Yeah, one person, one language. I guess is what the, the probably the more diplomatic way is. But
0: don't worry about PC on this show. I <laughs> on mean, this show that's, yeah. that's not how we roll. So.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you've described where your your wife is only in Mandarin, and you are br- bringing the English content. So that's that's ideal for the the first layer, the bilingual layer. And then you have the excellent situation of being in a different your community language is a third language. So right there, that's an automatic trilingual setup. Well, so
0: let's pause on that because what happened for the first two years is my daughter would go to the park, she'd go to the pool, she would try to make friends and they're all Panamanians, they all speak Spanish and my daughter was just not keeping up. I mean, she just, she started to not wanna play with the other kids because she couldn't understand. So we're like, all right, the community is not working. So that's when we went out of our way and hired a nanny because truth be told, we didn't actually need a nanny. I mean, I work from home. My wife is a stay at home mom and my mother lives with us. So, I mean, she has three people in the house already to look after her and spend time with her. And But we hired a nanny as well, just so that she could get massive amounts of Spanish input and that has taken her in a very short period of time from not being able to speak Spanish to actually now quite fluent. And now she's able to make friends and it's like, she has to be on a certain level, I think to really get the most out of those types of relationships. Yeah, Yeah.
1: absolutely. And well, so, and you exactly listed the next recommendation that, you know, if, if a client, if there are two parents that are monolingual and they want to add another language that they don't, have fluently. Um, and I use this one myself, my Mandarin is, is decent, but it's not native speaker. And I would love it if she actually had that native speaker input. So with my daughter, I have her babysitter is a native Mandarin speaker. Yeah, and so I did ask her. And when I was interviewing babysitters, I made it clear that the language was of interest to me, and that she should only use that language. And more importantly, if you know if somebody listening is looking to to use this approach, and it sounds like it worked, you know, the one that you found work you cannot find a nanny like a babysitter who speaks that language and and just tell them only speak that language they have to understand that they especially with the young ones they have to basically narrate everything you're not hiring them for babysitting like you said you don't need the babysitting aspect of it you need the language input so while they're sitting there playing you know blocks or dolls whatever they're doing And they're not just there watching the child's safety. They need to be saying, oh, look, the doll is wearing shoes. The shoes are pink, and the the doll has a hat. These blocks are very low when that is the next best thing. Yeah, so and then the, the next thing I wanted to to touch on was I am with you on the screen time. <laughs> in an ideal world, sure, something. And I've actually seen a few studies come out that the the previous anti-screen time studies are somewhat biased. Now, do you want your kids in front of the TV 24 hours a day? No, obviously not. Certainly not. They should be going out and playing and, and doing other things. However, you know, some exposure to screen time is absolutely, you know, from, from my experience- It's magic.
0: I mean, like, I mean, if there's any parents out there I mean, you give your kid the tablet, it is magic. If you want to see Harry Potter in real life, like, I mean, your child is so fussy, so upset, can't get him to sit still, can't get him to focus. And just making life so challenging when you're out at the restaurant, give him that tablet, it's like, it's just unbelievable.
1: It really is. It makes all the difference. Now, (laughs) mine got exposed to... Cocoa melon, which I don't know if you're familiar, but it's, it's no, I English don't know that one. Okay. It's, people either love or hate Cocomelon, but it, it's English because my policy was exactly the same as yours, where the screen time can be an advantage, an educational input when it's all in the other language. So, for example... When she watches Ditch to German. If they don't have a German option, it's French. So she associates Disney with German or French, if not German. So we do all of them in different languages. Uh, however, (laughs) cocoa melon's only in English. She saw it somewhere and she will demand cocoa melon. (laughs) So I'm like, ah.
0: Yeah, for ours, it's Elsia and Anya. It's a YouTube channel that is a play off of movie frozen and they have like little dolls and it's in english and my kid just goes nuts for watching these teenage girls play with dolls and make up voices right and just
1: yeah uh, and that's (laughs) (laughs) that when you you can find one that they resonate with though in the target language so like i said right now my daughter's favorite cartoon when i can they when i cannot have Coca melon on is chupi which is a french cartoon and so they get they get attached to that character and so she knows that chupi speaks french and so that is natural language input and i'll tell you somebody who is excellent at this approach can find her on instagram under the handle of polyglot mama and she is amazing she has she has a daughter who is 4 who speaks 14 languages yeah, it's amazing. She, she recently, um, you can see her. I barely
0: get through on English. Was-
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty impressive. And she'll, she'll speak sometime at like the polyglot gathering type events. And as she's there in, I think currently still they're in Siberia. So it's not like it's in a super international community either, but her, one of her main approaches is that her daughter associates characters with languages. So, peppa pig for them speaks i think for them it's greek in our household peppa speaks uh, mandarin so we yeah
0: peppa papa speaks in our house mandarin yeah. mm-hmm. peppa speaks yeah. mandarin
1: exactly so and that's the thing with with these you don't necessarily have to you know and poco yo
0: speak, Pe- speaks spanish that one's for sure I oh know about, true. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah they and they don't have to matt you know peppa as many parents will know is british so this is a Peppa, in theory, speaks English, but so many of these, if you go to YouTube, they're all out there dubbed in other languages, and so you can find, or like you said, Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, they can be, the languages can be changed.
0: Yeah, you can actually change the tablet, so all the programs that come up will come in that language. So even when you're not watching and your kids swipe, swiping through the different programs they're only going to keep getting that same language. And my daughter hasn't figured out how to change the settings and she's not going to listen to this episode. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly.
1: (laughs) Will you buy yourself a few more years at that one?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So you pick different programs or I suppose your child picks programs that they like, and you make sure each of the programs that they like is in a different language. So you could do, if they liked four different programs, Every one of the programs could be a different language and they associate with that language. And then it's to be expected that Peppa is going to speak Mandarin and Yo is going to speak Spanish in this example. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think about that until you say it, but then that's why I chimed in. was like, oh yeah, and this one speaks this and this one speaks that. How that ended up happening, I have no idea because I know both of those shows are in English but we don't listen to them in English. I think maybe we downloaded them from Pirate Bay. I'm going to incriminate mm. myself here. I think we downloaded <laughs> them from Pirate Bay. <laughs> I'm it. Come on, guys. That's right. <laughs> downloaded them. And so it wasn't changing the application. It was, sure. I had them on a thumb drive. We plugged it into the USB and she just watched those programs on repeat. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And eventually they'll just associate. And like I said, the, the example of the, the woman in the polyglot mama in um, Siberia, I, I think she told me once that her daughter would find it strange if all of a sudden Peppa started speaking English or something, because that's the the character's language. And so, um, yeah, that's, it's a great way to continue to work. You know, like I said, so we are, uh, I speak mostly German, but when I want to incorporate those other languages, she still, you know, if she's I'm cooking dinner. She gets that, you know, 30 minutes of screen time. And she does get to to choose to a certain extent. I mean, she's, she's a toddler. Um, and, and there's only, you know, I, I don't want the, Cocoa Melon has many great advantages, <laughs> but it's in English. So it's not, it's not useful to me. So I have to sometimes suggest, you know, strongly suggest we're going to watch Studio Ghibli and then that's in Japanese. And so, and, and she'll get pulled into Ponyo, you know, like, oh, what's this, what's this going to be about? So she's getting the language exposure, you know, every day she's getting, in addition to the English and the German, she's getting those other secondary languages through the shows, through the board books. I do not trade, choose the board books for her. It doesn't matter what language I'm working on or what language we're, we're focusing on. She chooses the board books every night. And we read at least three times a day. We read in the morning when she wakes up in the evening, right before bed. And then usually sometime like in the mid, especially on weekends during the midday, she loves books. She'll go, she'll gravitate towards them and she chooses her favorites. And sometimes that's going to be in Spanish. Sometimes it's going to be in Mandarin. It's just really her mood. So that's kind of how we incorporate the other secondary languages on a more consistent basis.
0: We got a lot of Pete the Cat when your child's a little bit older look for peep the cat my kid just goes nuts out she just grabs stacks of peep the cat books and brings them they're in english so i read them to her but they're to help with reading and they have many different levels i think they're the most boring books in the whole wide world but <laughs> God, she just loves these things it's so funny okay so i want to make a point though about what you were saying earlier about the nanny speaking in the different language, because this is what ended up happening. I'll give you a real life example. Four months ago, we came to Brazil to give birth here, to to deliver here. And that's when my mother hired the nanny to help with my daughter with Spanish, because she wasn't getting enough Spanish. And my mother told her, oh, you need to teach her Spanish. This is just a normal Colombian woman domestic help who works in the house she's not a professional teacher so what does she think she needs to do she needs to teach like correct and explain and all of these things of the language i don't blame her i mean that's you know kind of what she was told or in her mind that's what she was supposed to do Well, I talked to my daughter at night and she would be in a terrible mood. She was hiding in the bedroom. She was very upset. She didn't want to talk. She was like, I don't like her. I don't like her. And I was like, I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I talked to my mother about it. And she says, well, she doesn't understand, you know, and this woman, she she doesn't speak English, so she can't try to communicate in any other way. And she's trying to teach her Spanish. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. She's trying to teach her Spanish? She's like, yeah, isn't that what we want? I'm like, no, that's not what we want. What we want is a friend for my daughter who can also keep an eye on her, make sure she doesn't get into trouble and play with her in that language. So I think that anyone who's listening today, I mean, don't let it cross the line if you have a nanny yes what you were describing you know okay the block is pink dolly's hair is yellow or blonde or i mean these types of things is one thing but no that's wrong your pronunciation it's supposed to be said like this is actually not conducive to a learning environment it's it's non-constructive i would say
1: Exactly. Yeah, and that is key. You do have to find the right person because you know another question I often get is, and and I can't honestly, I can't speak to this one yet. I get the question of, will they rebel at some point? And and you know, and if that's in my my answer to that is, I don't know yet. She's too young. If that happens, we're done. This is a gift to her. It's not an obligation. You know, I'm not going to force her to speak languages. But there are a couple of reasons why children start to dislike language acquisition, one of them is because they feel othered. you know, if, if she's the only kid and, you know, in in so many cases that I hear that it's, it's generally like the parent is a, an immigrant parent and they're in a, an English dominant community. The kid doesn't want to feel othered, which is unfortunate, but it's a normal, a normal thing. um, and there are ways around that. The other one, however, is when it becomes a chore when it's not fun. And that's kind of what you're describing is this, is the individual is making the child feel smaller or less than which we don't want so it has to be done as as play like we said narrating not correcting never never correcting and so that's one thing that i I would tell a nanny and au pair whoever you you do have in your home is there's no correcting so as some of this comes from teaching you know i've taught foreign language in schools as well we you know if a student pronounces it incorrectly when i'm teaching i do not say no that's wrong. I simply repeat it correctly. I don't even say, do you mean? You know, if they said, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, Guten Tag in German, and they said Guten Tag, (laughs) I wouldn't say, you mean Guten Tag. I would just repeat it correctly. I just say it correctly, Guten Tag. They will get it eventually, especially the younger the child, the, the more they're just going to eventually get it. It just gets in there. So yeah, if, if somebody is bringing in some like a nanny or a, or a caregiver, an au pair into their home, that's one thing to make clear with them. They're not teaching. They're not correcting. They're simply modeling and narrating. And that's all we need from them.
0: And literally, like I had a conversation with my mom, lasted five minutes. The very next day, she spoke to the the nanny and all the problems disappeared literally that day. Like it was like, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, we have to go out there and get another nanny or something like that. No, it was like, just explain to her exactly what you just said and the problem solved itself. And now they're like BFF and it's just awesome to watch.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. And that's you know, the younger you start them. So another thing that I want clients, you know, when clients come to me, they're like, oh, it's I've started too late, can I do this? There's never too late, but. That said, with this approach, the younger you start them with a uh, a non-native or a a different language speaking caregiver, the easier, you know, like because my daughter was, I think, nine months old when she started with her Mandarin caregiver, she can just speak in Mandarin and my daughter's never going to know the difference. She's just going to incorporate it the same way she does other languages. Now, if you're bringing bringing in a nanny that's a, a new language at, you know, three, four, five, six years old, it is going to be harder, like you said, with your daughter on the playground. She already knows a different language. So she understands that the language she's hearing is not her language. So that is a little bit more of a challenge. So the older you get with a a, a new language caregiver, then the more you want it to be associated with, with a play, like some sort of activity that they want to do so that they want that person to come over. Because even though the challenge of that language barrier exists, they want that person over there because there's something special in it for them. So another great example of a polyglot parenting and I'm I'm kind of forget their last name, but you can Google Bella, the polyglot eight year, I think she's eight, nine, something like that. Just really amazing little Russian girl who's who has spoken I think she's up to like eight languages now, something like that. And um, her mother said that one of her approaches is that when this child wants to learn a new activity, let's say riding horses. So you could find a class or, you know, training an instructor who speaks the language that you're interested in. And then everything about that is done in that language. So that, that gives them a motivation and excitement that, you know, Arabic is associated with riding horses, and I want to learn the Arabic words because that's what I associate with the riding horses. Especially the older they get, the more it's, it needs to be attached to something interesting for them. It can't ever be a learning. You're not going to sit your kid down with a textbook and be like, let's learn French now.
0: I'm already starting to ride, uh, run through things in my head, and try to figure this out for my own family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I always have my own selfish reasons for having my guests on. <laughs> I'm like it's okay, Sarah, what you all. do is amazing. You want to come on my show? I'm going to ask you 500 questions about your work because I think this is so rad.
1: No, well, and you know, I enjoy sharing it because I I, I feel like, especially as we become more interconnected globally. We, we've got to be multilingual and starting young is just the easiest way to do it. So I know.
0: I get these people who are like, oh, travel is so easy now. You just use Google Translate for everything. I'm like, no, like <laughs> don't do that. It's, oh, it's so I bad. Mean, if there's anything, you should be using the new abilities of technology to make language acquisition easier on yourself not relying on the technology to do it for you exactly
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so but that actually does touch on kind of the the next suggestion i do have for families is at the very least you can use programs you know like i was saying you want to attach it to something fun so ideally if you have a kid who's really interested in learning cooking and you can find somebody who speaks you know french or italian or hindi while they cook that's the way to do it, is make it attached to some some hobby. But things like Duolingo are gamified. So it has to have that game aspect to it. It has to be something, something fun. So yeah, you can absolutely use Rosetta Stone, Duolingo, any of those programs. But
0: well, it's not as good. I think my <laughs> listeners know how I feel about both of those programs. An alternative <laughs> would be to go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language and check out my buddy Ollie Richards' programs who is amazing and does story learning and his stuff is really, really good. A Very, very dear friend of mine and I fully drank the Kool-Aid with him and his oh, method absolutely. of teaching languages.
1: Yeah, Ollie's approach is 100% dead on with the reading approach. And again, as a, a teacher, I always have to point out one reason some people aren't successful in language learning is because we're assuming that we're all the same as learners and we all need the same things. For sure. And people need to first understand who they are as a learner before they can understand which program or which approach is going to resonate with them the best. For me, I'm a verbal learner and reading is 100% the best way to do it. And Ollie's approach of starting right off the bat with these beginning texts that he has created for so many different languages, it's... And the the sense of accomplishment when you finish one of the beginning, not like, who cares that it's a super cheesy, easy beginner novel. You're like, I just read a book in Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) Like
0: full stop. Like, like it is a proper 200 page book. I mean, I've gone through a number of them in Spanish and his programs and stuff like that. I mean, that's like literally sense of accomplishment. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. And I think that that is so important. If you can celebrate wins along the way, and this is getting maybe away from the child aspect, but probably not. I mean, if the child can celebrate wins and feel like they're accomplishing something, then it's probably going to motivate. But I know for sure in me learning Spanish, as I'm able to do new things in my target language, the more motivation I have, it's like the more I want to do now. I'm, you know, my Spanish is getting to the point where I'm like, Hmm, I think next year I'm going to start learning Portuguese. And I studied Mandarin for, many years in the past. And my Mandarin is terrible. I mean, I've been married to a Chinese woman for six years, and my Mandarin should be at a completely different level. But it's not. But that's okay, because there's still an opportunity. And now I have the motivation to try again and try to get it a lot better.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and you t- touch on something really important there. All of the myths about language learning just completely bust them. There none of them are true. It's all about mindset and shifting your mindset. So the wins is huge. It's the same, you know, my the other half of, of kind of what I do is goal achievement coaching, which language acquisition coaching is goal achievement coaching, just a super specific niche of it. You set the goal to learn a language. In everything, you have to have those micro steps that you can celebrate wins for because Otherwise, you're just feeling, especially with languages, so many people don't want to take that risk because they don't want to sound stupid. And when you can have that, I read the book, I understood the song, I ordered the food. Those moments are so key. So yeah, celebrate those micro wins. Absolutely.
0: I think it's really, really important because it can be so frustrating when you're learning a language and you think that you should get it in a certain way. There are things that come extremely natural to me. And my background as being a high school dropout and having dyslexia and being told that I will never learn another language and we're not even going to bother teaching you another language because you have so many problems with English that I had so much baggage going into language learning. And I mean, it's like, if I can get through this, literally anybody can get through this stuff. So for me, celebrating the wins And the accomplishments along the way has been paramount in keeping my motivation going. And I study every single day. I studied every day, except for probably the three days that we were in the hospital for my son's birth. I mean, I've studied Spanish every day while I've been in Brazil. I mean, like, it's just a piece by piece thing. And I just show up and show up and show up and show up. And and yeah, I think that that's the way to do it. That's my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's language learning is is a marathon. It's not a sprint and you have to be able to continuously re-enroll yourself um, because you're not going to become 100% fluent overnight. You know, there there are definitely programs that say fluent in X, Y, Z days. You know, sure, it's possible depending on what your definition you know we we've already said talked about you know what is fluency but you have to set goals you have to know why you're learning that language you have to be invested you know we were talking about invest ground the kids anchor the kids in some sort of activity for them but that's equally true for adults you have to have something that lights up your passion with that language if you're genuinely going to learn it now there's the argument for functionality. You know, if you're living in a country and you know, yes, you need to be able to order dinner or whatever. That's only going to take you so far, though, because it is it's a long road. And you need well, to have I have something.
0: lots of friends who are expats who lived in Panama three times as long as I. I have friends five, six, seven years there. They can order their dinner and they can fill up a tank of gas. Not much more than that. I mean, you know, that's yeah. like they got to just the the bare minimum to survive in the country. And then they never went further. I've been there two years and I went from crummy, crummy, crummy Spanish to fluid because of my goals that I had set for myself from the beginning.
1: Exactly. They have to be specific. And and so I talk about the smart goals, the specific, measurable, measurable, uh, attainable achievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Achievable. Uh, oh, okay. So there's, yeah, those ones, they <laughs> kind of, the, the A's and the R's are different ones. I think smart, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time bound is the one yeah. that I most often use. Because, you know, you get those people, well, oh, I can't learn a language. I had the New Year's resolution to learn French, and every year I never accomplished it. Okay. Well, what does it mean to learn French? I'm not done learning English, right? So we have to have, yeah, specific goals and things that, excite you and that could be so you know i i do a lot of um home mini immersions you know so like i'll say this weekend is is japanese weekend and I, it's i'm only going to learn or i'm only going to use japanese as much as possible but then in addition to that i fill my days with things that represent jet ja- Japan and Japanese that get me excited. Now, as I'm a passionate traveler, so just kind of the notion of having a little hint of travel in my house is enough to to get me excited. But some people, it might be you know I had a friend who really wanted to learn Greek and particularly ancient Greek because they were very devoutly religious and wanted to be able to read religious texts in their, their original language. And so it, it could be as simple as something like that. It could be you know you really want to connect with a your Italian grandmother or something like that it's something that you get excited like you, you get that kind of like cool feeling and you're just like it's like wha, cool when you're thinking about it because you just have to be excited and interested otherwise it's just going to be memorizing verb forms and you know trying to figure out what order the words go in and it's just you're not going to you're not going to progress.
0: Well, this is our plan for homeschooling. And you'll probably get a kick out of this because it's so similar to what you've just described. So my wife and I, we for, for our daughter, we follow basically a version of unschooling or homeschooling or I guess, I guess it's affectionately named world schooling. So we teach our daughter as we travel around the world. And she's not quite five. She's almost five. And she's been to 13 different countries. And what our plan is going forwards is that as we're teaching her things, teaching, once again, in quotation marks, we will do that like country specific. So say we want to do Japanese. Then we'll prepare Japanese food in the house. And we'll watch Japanese movies. And we'll learn about the language. And then we'll plan a trip to Japan and then we'll go spend like two months in Japan or something like that. And so like, yes, she's learning reading and writing and things like that. Yes, she's looking, learning cooking and skills. Yes, we have entertainment, but it's all in kind of that cultural aspect of that language. And then we want to do a trip there. So that's what we've got planned for the next couple of years of trips that we want to do in learning about those types of things. And and I think that that's going to be really amazing now as my daughter gets a little bit older. When she traveled to, I mean, I took her to Egypt when she was like one or something like that. Okay, I mean, she's not going to remember anything, I mean, from that. But, you know, when when we do another trip like that, and she's seven, and we learn about the history of the pyramids and ancient aliens, no, I'm just joking, but (laughs) all of that kind of stuff, like... I think that'll be really cool as like a project for a couple of months. So you've kind of described it on the adult level, and I've kind of described it on the kids level, but a mixture of that I think is really neat.
1: Absolutely, and your description of of and I would call it world schooling as well. That's amazing. That's a hundred percent what I had, had kind of hoped to do. And who knows, might I might still be able to pull it off. I'm right now. I'm kind of trying to figure out logistically as a single mom. It's it's a little difficult to you know homeschool and earn money at the same time and so I'm trying to figure out logistically but I absolutely believe that it is it is possible when you set that goal that's what I would love to do is create because you can create the full curriculum in those contexts I mean think about your trip to Egypt you can incorporate let's say right then she's also her outcomes for that age include geometry right think about how you can teach geometry in context using architecture or something I, everywhere you go, you can absolutely make the entire curriculum incorporated into what she's experiencing in the world, real world. And that is going to land so much more securely than sitting in a classroom looking at a textbook. So the more that you can do that, the better. I absolutely believe in the power of world schooling. Um, and you know, again, I know for some people it's more or less possible you know, even if you are the kind of person who ha- feels like you are bound to staying in a traditional setting, which is absolutely the case for some people, you can still, like you said, plan trips. Schooling does not end, if your child has to be in a traditional school, it doesn't end when the bell rings. We did kind of a study among some of my um, colleagues several years ago. And we discovered that every all every one of us who is on one of the um, higher end stipend or there- Scholarships at school at this college. Every single one of us was either homeschooled or their parents created additional schooling opportunities outside of school. So yeah, the schooling does not have to stay in the classroom. And ideally, when you have that opportunity, if it can be done entirely outside of the classroom, it's just it's going to resonate so much more powerfully. That's awesome.
0: And then to your point about you know geometry or mathematics, I always have believed that the best way to teach these things is not in theory, teach these things in practical sense. The fact that public schools teach math, but don't talk about money for me is so weird. Like it's like, (laughs) what what is the, (laughs) the most common use of arithmetic in everyday life that you're using it at every moment? I mean, it's so applicable is commerce.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's like banned. Like, it's absolutely bad. You cannot talk about money in <laughs> public schools, how it yep. works, how it functions, how to make it, how to multiply it, how to lose it, how interest works. I mean, it's just so weird.
1: <laughs> it. I agree, because that was one of the things that I felt was really lacking from my own education. And I I went to what would have been a, a good school, you know, like no shade thrown at my, my high school and my middle school experience. I thought they were great at the time. But to your point, it just wasn't considered a priority. It wasn't something that we thought to teach. Now, I I know when I taught in the Edmonds School District of Seattle, that they now, I think Seattle-wide has the requirement for graduation that they have to take a personal finance class, which is a, a great step That's in the great. right direction. That yeah. is um, definitely
0: a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But to your point, so in one of my teaching careers, I taught for Bellevue College outside of Seattle, adult basic education, which is adults who are returning to school, you know, They didn't finish high school for whatever reason, and so they're taking high school equivalency type classes. And I taught the basically the arithmetic level math class, and I built my curriculum around that very thing because it's not especially for adults who've got jobs and families. They've got other things. They're not interested in in sitting in a classroom anymore. This needs to be relevant to their life. And so I changed it to exactly what you said. We did banking. We did how do you balance? You know. I don't know if we balance checkbooks very much anymore, but, you know. Yeah, but there's the a concept. basis for
0: basic, you know, accounting. I mean, it's it's accounting on a personal level, so.
1: Right. Sales tax, how to cal- calculate sales tax, you know, all of those number issues that can make or break your financial well-being. Yeah, so important. I fully and agree. then
0: for your kids, what an opportunity to be able to do these types of lessons or classes in a different language okay, I don't struggle with my numbers in Spanish anymore. But I mean, when I used to have to do dates in Spanish, like, you know, four digit numbers, or you're doing telephone numbers, or you're doing things like this, having that type of repetition and using abstract numbers in a different language. I mean, you need a lot of practice with that. Like, I've traveled to more than 100 countries, and when I'm in a country and I'm at the market and I'm trying to buy something and I have to <laughs> you know, figure out how, so, how much something costs, and then give them that amount of money and then count my change and see if it's correct, and you're doing it in colognes or uh, yuan or AED durhams, I mean, like you need a lot of practice with those types of things, with the different types of currency. So you might as well try to double up with your child's education and- you know, do the language learning in that type of thing. Opposed to like, hey, we got 60 minutes for learning French and then 60 minutes for doing math. Why don't you just do like two hours just of add it all together and, you know, don't call it a lesson and... I mean, we got like little stores set up in my house for my daughter. She's got like her toy store and we put price tags on them. And now she's got a cash register and then she has to give us change and we do it in different language. Like my wife does it in Mandarin with her. And that's how we're teaching her math and we're teaching in another language. Absolutely. Today, I mean, as of that's what we're doing right now. It'll work right now. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah,
1: so that's perfect. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. And that's like you said, the those that basic number you know that language skill. One of my early internships in college was in Switzerland, and so I was I did a supermarket internship, and I was at the cash register for a good part of the internship. Speaking so some of the you know as I'm sure you're aware in France you've got all those language or Switzerland you've got all those languages just kind of mixed up, and so some customers would come in and speak Swiss German, someone come in and speak German you know standard German, and someone would be coming in and speaking. French, occasionally you get like an Italian speaker and, and some of them would mix them up. <laughs> and so like, I had to try to like, just the amount that my language skills grew from, you know, doing the, and, and, you know, similarly, some were paying in Euro and some were paying in Swiss franc, you know, most in Swiss franc, but so the, just the calculations, the conversions, the numbers that you have going in your head. And then in that case, it was the, the higher urgency of my my till needed to balance at the end of the day, or I was going to be in trouble. <laughs> so I needed to be darn sure. We don't sure need, need you to, in a don't. Swiss
0: prison, geez. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, it's that's a great pressure, high pressure way to learn your language, your numbers, and your currency vocabulary. So, yeah, yeah, because
0: I find with the numbers stuff, it is so different than just normal conversational language acquisition. I mean yeah, you can sit down and have a talk about the weather or maybe ask for directions or something like that. But I mean, if people are lined up behind you to buy something and they're waiting on you to get through this stuff, it's like, you want to be a gun on this. You want to be super fast. You want to know your numbers. And exactly. like, it's it's just so it's such a different experience, but very, very valuable
1: yeah for sure
0: so do you have any other tips from the children's side of things that you have seen work well or things that you've read about or studied that you're working with now with your clients that are helping their children become multilingual
1: i would say that the biggest thing to take away is that that there's no one best approach and most likely you are going to need to use a combination of approaches, much exactly like you described with your situation. You've got the one parent, one language, you've got the uh, additional caregiver, you have all of these different aspects. Netflix, the, the TV, you know, the, the screen time in a different language. It's going to be a combination of those things. And then the second thing that I really stress is like we said. You are going to fall off the bandwagon at some point, most likely. <laughs> it's all gonna fall apart at least at least once a month, <laughs> probably. Things are just gonna happen, and that's okay. It's just the the most important thing is the ability to re-enroll yourself um, and your family. Keep it light, keep it fun, do not make it a chore. And remember that any language takeaway is going to advantage your child later if they don't become fluent in in all of the languages or you know even the second language that's okay it's their choice and later consistently pretty much to a person when i speak to people who grew up in a multilingual environment and rebelled against it at some point I I can't think of a single individual I've talked to who then didn't regret that they didn't finish it and try to come back to it. So you're never going to have a kid who's going to like grow up and be like, you know what? You tried to make me learn two extra languages. I hate you. So (laughs) anything you can do to get that start, you know, if it doesn't go all the way, anything you can do is a gift to their future language abilities.
0: I think that with the homeschooling, I don't think a lot of children will have that same aspect because my hunch is that the child goes to school and they start to feel different that they're learning other languages and all of the kids are only speaking English. So, you know, it's kind of a waste. Why are they going to spend this time? You know, they just want to play with their friends and all the friends are in English. I think with the homeschooling, that's not the case. And also with the expat families, that's not the case. Because like in my daughter's example, I mean, she goes to the playground, they're not speaking English. None of them are speaking English. They don't know two words of English strung together. They're only speaking Spanish. So it's going to be a built-in motivation where expat families and homeschool families and this alternative education that we discussed so many times on the show, I think it's going to be a very different situation.
1: Exactly. I fully agree. You know, Studies do show that North American, I want to say North Americans, so Americans and U.S. Americans and Canadians are the areas most likely to be monolingual. So you're 100% right. Children who are in the U.S. or Canadian educational systems where everyone else is speaking English are the ones more likely to rebel. Outside of the U.S. when you're, if you're living as an ex, in an expat community or elsewhere, you're right. You're, it's, the norm, they're less likely to rebel against those languages, because why would they, it is very much about that being different thing. And so, um and, and in a lot of places, uh, I can't speak to Canada, other than I mean, Quebec is obviously a, a different situation in Canada, but in the United States, I know it is increasingly common. So if if a listener is in the United States and wants to avoid that, so if I do remain in the U.S., which I'd love to get back out on the road and, you know, give my daughter the opportunity to experience sextet life. If, however we are here, where we're based in Minneapolis, there are a dozen full immersion preschools and four charter schools that are entirely immersion as well. So if you have those opportunities, then absolutely send them to any of them. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, if you started in a different language, you know, maybe you started off in in your child is learning Hindi, but you want to keep them learning languages, send them to the Mandarin immersion school, because as long as they're in that context of multilingualism is the norm, they're going to keep appreciating any of the languages you feed to them.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really important point. The more you can normalize it, I think the better off you are. And like my daughter's best friend, they're a Russian family. She was born in New Zealand. Now they live in Panama. And the parents knew the benefit of Mandarin. So they've had a Mandarin speaking tutor. So the girl's like seven and she speaks four languages right now, fluently at all times. That's my daughter's closest friend. So like my daughter sees that and she sees the, this girl's speaking to her parents in Russian, which my daughter doesn't speak. So it's another language that it's like, oh, this is normal for people to speak multiple languages. When the child seems to think that they're alienated or it's this bizarre thing that's not normal, I think that's when a lot of the problems start to come into play. That's my instinct. On
1: it. Exactly. Yeah. And you touch on something else interesting as well. It's that it's the child's natural curiosity. So in the example that you've, you've mentioned, your daughter seeing somebody that she really uh, you know, appreciates, admires, speak Russian, probably has her interest in Russian a little bit peaked, you know? So the more, wherever we are in the world, the more that we can diversify our friend set, the people around us that our children are exposed to, the more likely they are to get curious about that. When they hear people that they think are cool speaking that language, they're going to be like, ooh, (laughs) what's that about? Let's, Let's talk more about that.
0: But do you have any insights then on when a family should be adding additional languages to the mix? Like I know you started in one way, which is like a lot of languages from basically day one. What about for a family like ours that's trilingual and like mine was always going to do the plus one, you know, like one a year, one every two years. Do you have any insights on I hate to use the word best, but I mean, an effective way of doing this, or do you have any of the studies or have you read anything or what's your insights on this?
1: Sure. So in in my case, the reason that I chose to approach it that way was they do generally say that the things, the sounds and the structures that a child hears before two are most easy for them to replicate later in life. So for example, when we think about if you've, so I working with tutoring Japanese students in English Anyone who's tutored Japanese students in English will will know that Japanese students have an incredibly t- difficult time Differentiating between the R sounds and the L sounds in English. It's almost impossible Things like that occur because languages are happen at different pitches And so when we're under the age of two our ears and our, our brains are more open to absorbing all of them But as we age our brains narrow in on okay. These this is the set that I need And the other stuff is not necessary. So after a certain age, you do become increasingly, it's increasingly difficult, not necessarily impossible, but it's increasingly difficult to hear the sounds to be able to replicate them. So I wanted to expose her to as many things as possible at a young age so that her brain was like, okay, these are out there. These are things to listen for. Now, and again, that's why, for example, with, Arabic and and Hindi where I, my language skills aren't as strong. Was that effective? I don't know because my accent might not have been replicating all of the pitches that I can't (laughs) hear because I started as an adult. So, but I know it didn't hurt her. (laughs) So I, you know, I tried to expose her early and then after that initial exposure, once she started actually acquiring language, when she was in the phase where she was actively trying to associate meaning with words, Then I narrowed in and spent more time focusing on specific languages. Now, as far as adding languages, and really this is the same, I would say, probably for kids or an adult. The the first thing is interest. Don't add a new language unless you're ready and excited to learn the new language. So that's, that's the first ground level. The second rule of thumb is don't add until you know that you can step away from the last language and focus on the new language and not completely lose the previous language. So you have to be strong enough in that language that you don't need to practice it every day for a while. That's going to go more quickly. There's going to be, you can have a shorter, you know, so your, your plan of adding one a year is a very reasonable plan. I've seen a lot of families do that approach and children are amazing sponges. They absolutely, your daughter in the future, your son will be able to do that and probably won't lose much. What they do lose will come back quickly. With adults, it again, everyone's different. But I would say one a year among the polyglot community is, is probably, I would say that's a probably a, a reasonable rate for adults as well. But again, it just depends. Each individual knows themselves. The last time you worked on your most, uh, your freshest language, do you feel strong enough that you could take a month off, let's say, and come back to it and still have the same knowledge retained? If so, yeah, you're ready. Go ahead and add another one.
0: Okay, that makes sense. That just reminded me. So one time when my daughter went back to China, it was without us. We were, I can't remember what we were doing. I think we were I think we were actually moving from the UAE to Panama, and we needed to pack all the house. We had to do all this immigration. We had to close all this stuff down. So we took my daughter to China and left her with my wife's parents, her group, my, my daughter's grandparents. I think she was there for about three months. So it was three months of Mandarin, 24 hours a day, zero English, except for when daddy calls on the video call or something like that. And when we went back to China to pick her up three months later, my wife had to translate for my daughter, for me, because my daughter would speak only in Mandarin to me. And my wife had to then translate because she had like, quote unquote, forgot how to speak English. It lasted about two weeks probably. And then everything came back and everything was as it was. But that first one to two weeks, it was like she had forgot English. It was like it disappeared. And then she couldn't even communicate. She would only speak to me in Mandarin because she didn't understand. She was at that age. But the English came back so fast that it's like she didn't really forget it. I mean, it was certainly in her brain. Like you could say she went from, otherwise you would be able to say like, she went from not speaking English to fluent in English in two weeks. It's like, that's not really how it works. Really how it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Anytime you're coming out of a Um, so like in your normal life as you said you're she's shifting between languages regularly so her brain is used to what we call code switching she knows that in this context I use this language and this however in that situation you described in which she had returned to China and was only it was a monolingual rich monolingual situation she was only using the one so she had kind of gotten out of the habit of code switching and and that's the case for for anyone you know when I Certainly, when I was a teenager and I went to the the German immersion camp for a month that I mentioned, my English was obviously, especially at that point, just light years stronger than my German. But because I had been in that situation, which even more than go, you know, had I traveled in Germany in that context, we were forbidden from using English. (laughs) So it took like the week after I came home, it took me like I had to physically or, you know, specifically remind myself. To speak in English, because when you're in a concentrated immersion monolingual situation, your brain is no longer used to code switching back and forth, and it just it takes a it takes a minute to switch back.
0: That is really interesting. It's just I find all of this thing, everything to do with languages in my life now is just so super fascinating, and especially for the the child aspect as a parent now, because. I will be very honest. I want my daughter to grow up and speak six, eight languages. I think that is the coolest thing on planet Earth and just so super rad. And I mean, I want to do that too. I mean, I'm working on it one at a time. It's going to take me a long time, but I'm I'm working on learning more languages as an adult. I feel like this is an absolute gift, a gift that I can give my child is speaking multiple languages? like it's like I, I don't know how else to put it because that's that is what I'm doing. I mean spending extra time and effort and energy and money to to do all of these types of things. I just think it's and and i I believe that she will appreciate it in the future. I think so,
1: yeah, I absolutely agree. and i Yeah. I love that you use the word gift because that's what it is. And I think shifting it from the idea of of gift to, you know, away from some people think of it as the the obligation, because like I said, I've never met an adult who did not appreciate their multilingual exposure as a child, the the more that you can do. And I'm, I'm with you. you know, I, like I said, if, if my daughter at any point that she says, stop, we're done, we're done. But absolutely. Do I want her to be, you know, the multilingual polyglot? Yes, because that's the, that's the world we're shifting into. It's what it's going to look like today. So,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. I guess okay. Before we wrap up, any insights on you? And I, I have my own opinion, and I'll reserve them this very one time, at least until after you go on the learning of languages and which languages are you should encourage your child to learn. Okay, I understand that there's interest, but. For people like us who travel extensively or who are expats or wanna live an expat or an international life, what's your opinions on languages that are going to be most beneficial in life?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So there are a couple of different caveats there. It depends on what you're learning the languages for. If you are looking to add languages that give you the most bang for your buck as far as speaking to people in the world, i would say mandarin and spanish followed by probably hindi would be the ones that give you the most traction as your as far as like number of people you can now communicate with
0: okay so i'm going to interrupt you as we go with hindi do you not think that there are so many indians who speak english that like there's just a massive amount of secondary language speakers, and that language is in English. So if you're coming from English, you might already be able to tap a lot of that market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In that sense, and again, Hindi is a unique one, because it is even people who are, I don't know that there's such a thing as an exclusive Hindi speaker. However, in language learning for a native English speaker, the argument could easily be made, well, everyone speaks English. So if you're if you're looking to communicate with a a number of people, you you're done. Check it off. Fair enough,
0: but (laughs) try traveling through China and only speaking English. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So again, (laughs) been there, done that. Not fun. Yeah,
1: and in those of those three, yeah, Spanish and Mandarin are going to be absolutely the more. You know, if you have to pick one of those three, I would say Spanish or Mandarin. Hindi has a large number of speakers. To your point they do even a, a, an exclusive quote-unquote hindi speaker is is probably mixing english in you know anyone who watches bollywood it's like wow i've suddenly mm-hmm. become fluent in in english because I understand <laughs> those <that."> cognitives yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so um yeah that one's going to be less useful as as far as like cracking open an opportunity that you wouldn't have already had in communication in that case i would say it's not a necessity So that's why that category is just in terms of people who speak those languages. It's not a necessity for me. When I travel, I learn the language to show respect. They probably already speak English in a lot of cases. But if I show up at their doorstep, I'm going to try to speak their language. Just, you know, because if somebody came to my house and started ranting in a language I didn't know and expecting me to understand it, I'd be like... (laughs) shove off, man. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) So I I consider it a matter of of respect. So in terms of if you want to be respectful to the greatest number of people, I would pick one of those languages because they are the widest spoken languages. Now, if your goal is something different, say, if your goal is business, then you would want to focus on, I would say, Mandarin is still a good one. German is, you know, German. Germany is the economic hub of Europe. So um, Germany is a great one there. Arabic is a good one, although that's a little more complicated because of the regional differences. And then Portuguese is, oh, and, and Korean. Those are kind of the big business ones as well. If you are learn, if you are wanting to choose a language based on ease, like if you're wanting to acquire languages rapid fire, then I would start with a romance language. If you're a native English speaker, I would start with a you know, a Spanish probably. And then from there you can add an Italian or a French and then jump into something um, a little, once you've got kind of the rhythm of language learning, you can jump into something further afield. If you are looking to just add languages for fun and you're looking for ease and you've only spoken English, I would not start necessarily with Japanese. If you're just Randomly picking language. Now, again, because I encourage people to have a passion, a why, like I I call it the why, know your why, then there's going to be a little less randomness to that. So if your why is you are just absolutely in love with Japan anime and you only speak English, absolutely start with Japanese because it's going to, the passion is going to drive you. But if you just want to learn, if you just want to be a polyglot and you don't have a specific why yet, then I would say look at those factors.
0: I will say that I agree with you on German because my prediction is that German will become more and more and more important in the future for commerce. I think that when we look not at just at Germany, but at the neighboring countries that are also German speaking Swiss German and Austria and Liechtenstein and all these places, I think that there's just more and more money that is running through these districts. And that if you are speaking German, especially to a high level, I think that that is going to have huge advantages to you as an adult throughout your career. I 100% agree with that. And then for your points about Portuguese, actually something that I didn't realize before I came down here to Brazil, there's as many Portuguese speakers in South America as there are Spanish speakers. So one country makes up the other, however many countries in South America combined in amount of language speakers. And anybody who tells you that you can just get by with Spanish in Brazil is an absolute liar. (laughs) And my listeners have heard me say this for the last two months now in every one of my episodes, because I literally, this is what I thought. I've been to now, this is my fifth time in Brazil, However, this is my first time coming in as a fluent Spanish speaker. And I just thought that, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to understand people and it will be fine and I'll be able to speak Spanish with them. And because there's so much Spanish influence, there is not Spanish influence here. The Brazilians are Brazilians. They influence. They are not influence. It's so different than what I expected.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if you think of the fact that Brazil is one of the BRICS, countries the rising economies yeah it's a powerhouse in itself
0: yeah exactly this it's just not what i expected and i guess i should have known better like i said this is my fifth time here but i listened to others who just told me ah spanish you'll be fine everything will be fine portuguese and spanish same same not the same <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> not yeah. the same i will also make one other point on arabic We lived in the Middle East for eight years. We could have stayed in the Middle East. We had the option. I actually purposefully left. And one of the reasons was that for my daughter, I thought it would be more advantageous for her to learn Spanish than Arabic because I know what the cultures are like. And for a woman to get ahead in an Arabic culture is still a lot more difficult than it is or a woman in a Latin American country to get ahead. They're not the same. And you guys can listen to this and call me a giant bigot or a racist, but I'm seriously just trying to be- Realistic practical here. I mean, realistic, like it's just the way it is. And I'm not saying anything bad about Middle Eastern countries or Arabic society. Actually, I love them. I think it's super fascinating. That's why I spent eight years of my life there. And I've traveled extensively through the regions. But what I had seen in my day-to-day life is that for a woman to get ahead in those societies, it was a lot more challenging than a woman getting ahead in a Latino community. And that was one of the reasons we moved to Panama, because I thought it would be more beneficial. You know, do I think it's great for my daughter to speak Arabic? Yeah, definitely. Gulf Arabic, you know, classical Arabic, sure. That'd be awesome. I'd be super proud of her, and I would love to go and spend more time there. But if you're comparing it against other languages, you no, Spanish, bang for buck, as you said, is just an excellent way to go further
1: yeah and you know contributing to that I lived in Oman for about you know just under two years loved it I love the country of Oman I have such an emotional attachment to it it was an amazing experience and I I did purposely go for the to the for the point of trying to 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 bust some of the myths but (laughs) but I was a single female living in Oman, and I absolutely encountered challenges that my male colleagues didn't encounter. Whether that's right, wrong, otherwise, it's irrelevant. It's simply the fact.
0: Exactly, and that... That's, that's my point. I'm not making a judgment on, you know, I'm not bashing them. I'm just telling you, hey, this is what I experienced, what I saw while I was there. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was one incident that I remember, um, you know, they have police checks on the road periodically. Not because it's, it was a very safe, you know, people thought that I was in danger in Oman.
0: People used to think that I lived in Baghdad. I mean, I tell people I lived in the Middle East or I lived in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and they're like, "Oh my God, state that right, exactly, like,
1: yeah." As a... you're in the States.
0: are you joking <laughs> right? me?
1: As a teacher, the <laughs> month before I moved to Oman, there were four school shootings in my area alone. That's not an issue in Oman. I was so much safer as a teacher in Oman. But you know, so there, you know, there was a police stop. And I had in my car, I was I was the one driving. And then as a passenger was my ex-boyfriend. And and he was an ex at the time. We were not, you know, in a relationship at the time. So the the officer came over, rolled down the window, and and he says to me, Salam alaikum. And I responded, Wa alaikum salam. And I responded, Waikum sala, like I'm saying the answer. And he he still did not acknowledge he said it the third time and so finally my ex leaned over and responded wa salam and then the conversation could proceed because he would not respond to me and it wasn't he wasn't trying to be condescending in his experience the officer's experience it would be inappropriate for him to engage in the conversation without the permission or the acknowledgement of
0: that's true that's that's legit i mean you don't Start a conversation with a female in these types of instances. You just don't. I mean, it's actually considered disrespectful. So, what he was doing in his mind with his perspective was showing respect. Exactly. Was not being disrespectful. Exactly. That's a lot of people won't get that, but for sure. Yeah. So, and it,
1: I wasn't, I wasn't at no point was I offended. I just could at first I couldn't understand. I was like, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> like, what is not working here? And then finally it was actually, you know, the the ex who realized what was happening, thankfully, and and jumped in to move the the process along. So it was just it was more amusing. But yeah, it is it is a very different perspective on gender roles in the Middle East. And it is not what we're used to as women. And that was probably the reason, because I, I had a, a, a good job situation there. It, it was an easy, I mean, I think I worked like 10 hours a week and then went to the beach. It was fantastic. But as a single female, it is, the challenges can be distinct. We'll just say they're definitely there. And so that's one of the reasons I moved on to my, my next experience. And so, um, you know, I fully intend to bring my daughter to, to visit. We'll visit regularly, but yeah, it, it would not be an accurate conversation if we didn't acknowledge that there were those challenges for women in that in that area, for sure.
0: Okay, amazing. Well, it's good to get your insights on these things as well. And I think that in this regard, we're very actual in all regards in this conversation, we're very aligned in in the way that we think and how we how we think about these things. But it's interesting because as I want to learn more languages or i dream about learning languages like it i mean these are goals for me that i just think are so amazing and then being able to you know live a little vicariously through my kids i mean let's be honest i think all parents do this what would help my kids the most through their life being practical on learning languages it's like yeah i mean if she had some love affair and wanted to learn welsh okay cool great is that really going to practically help her on a wide spectrum of situations no i mean i'm sorry like unless she's going to get a welsh partner uh, you know or live there probably not i would never tell my child oh, you can't do something I mean, I would just try to steer them like, you know, why don't we look at this instead? Like, if, if you're listening to this episode and you're going, oh, I don't know what language I should introduce to my child. Well, Mandarin is like, what, 1.4 billion people on planet Earth. And you've got 450 million native Spanish speakers. Like, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you got like seven Welsh speakers or something <laughs> exactly but yeah yeah don't hate on me i'm just teasing but i mean you know what i mean like it's just it's just not the same so i'm just try i'm always trying to figure out what are the things and it like i said with the hindi i don't think it has to be just a pure mathematics numbers games on how many people speak that language it's going to be in business going forwards or places that you you would go to like swahili like millions of people speak swahili however a lot of those people also speak english like i got lots of friends from kenya when i lived in the uae some of my best friends were kenyan they were native english speakers they spoke swahili as their second language so it wasn't to communicate with that group of people, you didn't actually need to speak that exactly,
1: language. Exactly. Yeah, particularly countries that are Commonwealth countries, you're, you're going to have that English, obviously, as intertwined. Even to your point, Swahili is one of the languages that I have have started, and and it's an interest for me because I I really love Kenya. But mm-hmm. again, it's
0: so beautiful. Uh, so
1: is yeah. So beautiful. That's, like, One that I can't wait to to show my daughter, and that's the thing. Like all of this is because I just I want to show it to her. Like I want to share all these things sure. with her. Like I'm <laughs> like, oh, I can't wait to take you to see this. You know, hopefully she's not like. And I don't think she's already proving to be kind of quite the adventurer. So hopefully she's not like she hits five and she's like, you know, I really hate travel. I just want to sit home and watch cocoa Melon.
0: Yeah, I want right? a white picket yeah. fence and a dog and <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, but Gardening. so I started
1: Swahili, um and it's a it's a fun language. It's it's an easier language, but. You're right. The the Swahili speakers are likely to speak English as an equal bilingual language, or even a first language over Swahili, which you know is it is what it is. But it's not necessary. It's not a language that's going to give you to your to your point like a, a lot of advantageous mileage out of it. It's a respect language, an interest language. But not a, you know, this is going to, you're not going to make this business deal unless you speak Swahili.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, like when we left the UAE, we were looking at different countries to move to. And one of my favorite countries in the world is Thailand. I'm a celiac. I can't eat wheat. And if I go out in Thailand, I can eat everything. Everything anything and everything because they basically don't use wheat in their food so we've done many trips to thailand over the years because it's just really really easy on me they had a, a visa we could get we looked at all of those types of things and panama also has a very easy visa so we're looking at we're weighing them and we're like but our kid growing up to speak thai what is that going to do for her in the future as an adult i was like well I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to learn. Sounds neat. And she'd have Thai friends. But once again, comparing that to Spanish, that's a monster of a language with just so much applicable use and content and, and music and culture. And, you know, that spans continents. It's like, It's just night and day, I mean, between the two, at least in my mind. If you
1: are, you know, as an expat, if you're making decisions based on things like what's going to be most advantageous for my child, 100%, Spanish-speaking country, you know, Mandarin – Of those, and I I lived in Thailand for six months, loved it. It was beautiful, yeah. And I again can't wait to go back, can't wait to take my daughter, all those things. (laughs) But yeah, I you'll notice that Thai is not one of the eight languages that I count. I learned enough would love to learn more. It's absolutely on my radar in the future, but it just doesn't have the mileage that something like a Spanish or a Mandarin, or even like you said, you know, your, your point about German, in addition to that, you know, thinking, no, of course we can't predict what's going to happen in 18 years down the line or even 10 years. I do. (laughs) We we can for fun (laughs) right now.
0: That's part of my job, but
1: yeah. Right now. I Go ahead. Oh.
0: Yeah affectionately, affectionately predict, probably guess is a much (laughs) better word, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. At the moment, the German higher education, the college system is, is completely free to non-Germans even, to non-EU members. So my daughter growing up fluent in German that opens up an excellent free college opportunity for her. So it's those sorts of things that we want to think about, is when we're thinking about what languages they want to learn, or you know, they should learn exactly. Where are they going to get the mileage? Where are they going to get the use out of it?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that also circles back to our point at the very beginning when we were talking about Esperanto, about the political nature of language. That's the first time I've ever heard that, but my guess is that Germany does that because they want to strengthen their position in the European Union and have more and more things done in taking place in the German language. And that's why they offer these types of things for free. So that is a political movement. I'm not saying it's good, exactly. bad, right, wrong. I'm just acknowledging yeah, it for yeah. what it is. And I think
1: that's key because so much so much today is polarized. in in conversations, but we can acknowledge that something is politicized without having to make a judgment call or a polarized, you know, decision about it. Everything, everything is politicized when you really look at it. And, you know, it's it's just, it makes good sense to think about who's driving this decision and and where it's going to take you.
0: Exactly. Well, listen, I'm libertarian. I get to offend both (laughs) sides. I get to (laughs) offend everybody. That that is where I (laughs) live. Amazing. Sarah, I love today's conversation. Super, super interesting. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your wealth of knowledge and your stories about language. So super amazing. I, I just love it. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to engage you to help their families to sort through all of this and and get the insights one-on-one, uh, where can we send them?
1: Yeah, there's kind of two umbrellas the and so obviously the most relevant here is my lang- the language coaching and that is found on my website is polyglot and taught that's polyglot is p o l y g l o t and a n d taught t o t
0: dot okay, now spell it in mandarin german <laughs> all <of> the different <laughs> no, languages yeah that's a great name for a website by the way I oh like thank that. you yeah so and then
1: that's also my insta handle for that content so you know anyone looking for tips on you know like my stories generally talk about okay right now it's arabic focus month what am i doing to learn arabic what is what am i doing to expose my daughter that sort of thing so and then my bigger presence where i'm more active is on chooseyourlifeadventure.com All one word, and similarly, Insta is "Choose Your Life Adventure" on Instagram, and that's that encompasses some of the language. You know, I do post some of the language content, and then that's also my travel and and goal achievement brand over there. So, yeah, so I'm I'm active on both, but uh, for language specific content and to find out more about like language coaching or language events, I uh, do some free webinars sometimes, and and that sort of thing. That's on Polyglot and Tot
0: and I will make sure I have the links for these at expatmoneyshow.com under Sarah's episode. Sarah, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. And I know I kept you much longer than I promised you, but it's just- It's been so fun. I, every, every time languages, I just, my, my people know I just geek out on this.
1: <laughs> I've had a great time too. So it's been a pleasure.
0: Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His... Techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish and under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language. And it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, Capitalizing on the Globally Recognized Resort Brand Coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front-runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.